Welcome to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast, where we interview business owners and real estate investors that share tips and tricks on how to grow your cash flow and reach financial freedom. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Today, we have Gen Y Finance Guy on the show. Dom is the Chief Freedom Officer and Blogger at Gen Y Finance Guy, where he aims to inspire and motivate other fire enthusiasts and be transparent in his journey towards financial freedom. Outside of the blogging world, he is a millennial corporate executive who comes from humble beginnings, grew up on welfare, but with grit and hard work, he managed to join the C-suite in his early 30s. Today on the show, we will talk about Dom's finance tips and tricks, identifying key skills to help you accelerate your career, and practicing the work-life blend. With that said, let's welcome Dom to the show. How you doing, Dom? Hey, nice to be on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I know we try to coordinate a couple different times because I'm a huge fan of your blog and listen to a couple guest episodes that you've been on other podcasts. I share it with my coworkers because the mindset and the different strategies that you talk about in terms of working through corporate America and your tips and tricks on finances, I feel like would really resonate with a lot of our audience. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on the show and I appreciate you uh, consuming some of the content that I've uh, played a part in helping uh, put out into the world. So why don't we just dive right in, and if you can tell our audience a little bit about your background, what you currently do, and a glimpse into your personal life. Yes, yeah, so um, I'm, uh, as you mentioned, a, a millennial, uh, which sometimes can come with a negative connotation, um, but other people don't realize it's also synonymous with Gen Y, which is you know, thus the name and Gen Y finance guy. Uh, I, I was trying to remove some of that uh, negative connotation. Um, as far as my background, um, I, I grew up on welfare, uh, drug addict parents. My dad was in and out of prison for the manufacturing of methamphetamine. Um, somehow, I, uh, I rose above the fog to see a, a world that was greater than the one I was exposed to. And that's what I used as a motivation to, you know, to be the victor and not the victim of my circumstances. Yeah, I love that. So in terms of your education, what did you study and what was your first steps in corporate America and how did you transition into where you currently are at today? Yeah, so I was the, the first one in my family to, to go to college uh, outside of my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, and I studied uh, corporate finance and you know, I, I, I went into the, uh, to the, to the working world. Uh, as, as a financial analyst, um, and from there kind of worked my way up the, uh, the corporate ladder. Um, I graduated college in, in 2008, um, and you know, from 2008 to 2017, I went from uh, financial analyst to C-suite executive. Um, and you know, it, was, it was a lot of hard work. You know, while my friends were you know, going to Vegas or you know, going to happy hour, um, I was grinding it out. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't consumed with uh, the task at hand of the day job, I was working on personal and professional development um, because I believed and, and realized early on that if I was willing to, to live my life like most wouldn't for a couple of years, uh, you know, ended up being like seven to 10 years that I could live my life that like most will never have the opportunity to. Um, you know, I realized that the, the top isn't crowded because 
you know, it, it takes a lot of work and, and, and quite frankly, you know, most people are lazy. Um, and I'm not saying that to put anyone down. It's just, it's, it's a fact. Um, and so that's, I've, I've taken advantage of that and used that as my own competitive edge. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm innately gifted, um, but I will outwork the most innately gifted and, and eventually hopefully surpass them uh, just through pure grit and willpower. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that one. I feel like persistence and consistency beats talent every time, especially when talent doesn't work. So it looks like you graduated in 2008 in the midst of a recession. It must have been very interesting being out of school looking for jobs. Did you have any particular hardships in terms of finding that first job? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't experience that. You know, and you know, my wife and I talk about this a lot. I mean, maybe you know, I had it. I, I experienced the bottom of the barrel. So, uh, you know, it, it take quite a bit to, uh, to, to get me down. Um, I also had been interning for, for an oil company, um, for two years leading up to, you know, graduation and, and, the, and the great financial crisis as you're alluding to. Um, and you know, so I had a job lined up and the other thing is, is, you know, finance and accounting folks, uh, they tend to be a, a pretty resilient workforce because, you know, regardless of how well the company's doing financially, they need to know how well they're doing. And so, you know, the finance and accounting folks are typically the last ones to go and they're typically the ones needed most in, in times of turmoil. So um, I, I feel like I chose a, a pretty resilient field to go into. Um, and it's also happened to be one that was, you know, naturally aligned with, you know, my um, natural abilities. So if we take a step back and take a deeper dive into your background, you mentioned that you grew up on a welfare and you had a father who was doing drugs. And I feel like that this detail is important because there's a saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. And for someone coming from your background, just getting out of that mindset of living in poverty and overcoming those struggles may have been really difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I've been blessed and uh, fortunate that I've had um, altruistic uh, people throughout my life, you know, take, take an interest and, um, you know, help me see beyond my my own circle of influence you know if you're a if you're an avid reader or follower you know a, a good uh, philosoph business philosopher who's since passed is jim Rohn, and you know he says you know the, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with um and so you know these people help me elevate my five right you know sometimes you, you can't you can't um you can't change where you came from but you can change who you associate with and who you look up to um, and even today, you know, especially today in, in the internet age, you know, those, those five people you spend the most time with don't even have to be people that you've met in, in person. You know, you can, you can model and, and gain mentorship from, from afar, um, you know, through either reading, uh, you know, people's books or their blogs or listening to their podcasts. I mean, you're, you're doing, you're doing a great service to a lot of people out there by just having this podcast to, you know, disseminate this information, the tips and tricks you know, across the, uh, across the internet. Yeah, I really appreciate that. The purpose of this podcast is to aggregate all of the different information. And there is just so much information out there. And I'm a student of the game. I love investing. I love real estate. And I wanted to be a one-stop shop for those people who might be in my shoes and wanted to achieve similar goals in terms of financial freedom. So you bring up a really good point in terms of Jim Rohn and his thoughts on how your circle of influence and the people around you help develop you as an individual and have a real impact on how you see the world. 
as I was preparing for this show, I was really intrigued about the story of the pizza boxes and the mentorship you received from the owner of the pizza shop. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about that mentor-mentee relationship that you had? Yeah, no, it's great that you did such uh, such good research uh, uh, before we set up the podcast. So, you know, I was I was in in sixth grade and I met a guy. Uh, I'll call him Dan. I won't use last names here. Um, and he owned a pizza place. And some friends had told me that hey, you know, there's this pizza place. If you go fold boxes, fold bo- pizza boxes, um, you know, you can get free pizza and soda. And you know, coming from from my background, you know, I, I lived with my grandmother, you know, it, I had four brothers, uh, my mom was living there, my uncle, it was a two bedroom apartment, you know, we slept on the floor. Uh, you can imagine we didn't get takeout pizza very often. Um, so I was I was pretty stoked. So I, I went to the pizza place and, and, you know, started folding boxes, got free pizza, and that was cool. Uh, and then over time, I started showing up, you know, <laughs> on the daily. And, you know, the owner was there and noticed and, you know, started to take an interest in my life. And, um, you know, there came a point that, you know, he, he's like, you know, so what, where, where are you from? Where's your family? Like, you know, you're spending all day at the pizza place. Like, do your parents, do your parents know where you are? And I was like, oh yeah, you know, they, they know where I'm at. Uh, I, 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 as long as I am, you know, back by, you know, 9 PM, this is a sixth grader. Um, they're, they're cool. And he's like, really? And, uh, you know, then, you know, probably a couple of weeks had passed after we had that conversation and he's, he must have sensed something, but he said, look, I don't mind you hanging out here, but uh, I, I want to make sure that you're doing well in school. And so he had me start bringing in progress reports. And at the time, I was a terrible student, um, not because I didn't have the intellectual aptitude, but because I just didn't have anyone that cared at home. So I, I didn't really put much effort into school. And so when I brought that first uh, progress report to him, it showed that I had a 1.33 GPA. Um, you know, he put me on a weekly, a weekly cadence of bringing him grades. And uh, over the course of, you know, the, the school year, I, I turned myself into a, a 4.0 student just because someone, you know, cared to, to, to give me some, some form of accountability. And I was just looking for someone to impress, right? I was a young kid, very, very impressionable and, and just wanted to, uh, to get some kudos. And that relationship really grew into something more. Um, you know, my, my mom and my brothers and I, we got kicked out of my, my uh, grandmother's apartment. And uh, Dan and his wife offered to uh, let me come live with them. And he had, he'd had a meeting with my mom and um, my mom, you know, agreed to it. And so I lived with Dan and his family for, for about a year. Uh, I st- I'm still in touch with them to this day. Uh, and you know, he's, he's been a, a very influential person. I, I think that really marked an inflection point in my life. Um, it was, it, I think that was the point where I was able to kind of rise above the fog that I kind of mentioned in the intro um, to see a world that was beyond what I'd been exposed to. You know, I'd been exposed to living in, you know, almost a, a project style apartment, uh, you know, community where cops were there every day, there's drug deals going on all the time. It wasn't uncommon for most people to be on welfare, you know, getting food stamps to buy food, uh, you know, having Section 8 housing where you might have an apartment that normally would rent for twelve fifty a month. But because the government's involved, you know, your share is $125 a month and the government pays the rest. Um, so that was the that was the type of lifestyle that I was exposed to. Um, you know, Dan, Dan exposed me to something much different. He, he exposed me to entrepreneurship. You know, he, he ran his pizza place. Plus, they had another one that his wife ran. Um, he exposed me to like home ownership. You know, he, he lived in a house. I thought he was rich. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything 
big, you know, it was probably a, a 1500 square foot house. Um, but you know, we were living in a, an 800 square foot apartment with, uh, you know, with seven people in a two bedroom, you know, one bath uh, place. So it was, it, it was that that allowed me to kind of see a much bigger world out there. And from that point on, you know, I just had t a ton of people that, you know, took an altruistic view of my life and, you know, and gave me a, ha a hand up, not a handout, you know, I had to work for it. You know, they showed me the door, but I had to walk through it. Um, but I, you know, I consider myself incredibly lucky. You know, if, if you've ever read my about me page, you know, there's a bolded section and you know, every fourth or fifth uh, bullet, I just say, have I, have I told you how lucky I am? Um, because I think every story of success has an element of luck, right? But, you know, luck is made at the opportunity or at the intersection of opportunity and preparedness, right? So you, you still got to put in the work. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the kind of lucky you get when you win the lottery. I, I have no interest in, in playing the lottery. I want to work for everything I have. Wow, that's a great story. <laughs> there is a lot of good information in there. So let's unpack some of that for our listeners. One of my takeaways from listening to Dom's story is that you have to work hard, but also position yourself in the right place to take advantage of those opportunities when they arise. My second takeaway from listening to Dom is about mentorship and especially picking a mentor who's really right for you. A lot of people on Instagram and Facebook might be looking for the Gary V's, the Grant Cardones of the world to mentor them. And depending on where you're at in terms of life, business, and relationships, they might really not be the right fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just add on there, you know, those people that are, you know, that you mentioned Gary V or Grant Cardone, um, depending on where you're at, they're probably not going to be that helpful to you at your place or your, you know, where, where you're starting from. I mean, you, you need to start lower on the food chain and eventually work your way up to them. Um, you know, cause they're, they're, you know, just like today, you know, I, I write a blog and I think that my level or my status in, in, in life, as far as where I've gone professionally and financially has, you know, outgrown my initial readership. Um, not that they, it doesn't resonate with them or it doesn't motivate and inspire them, but, you know, they can't always resonate with the fact that, you know, I have a household income, you know, over $500,000 a year now, right? Um, and that's why I've brought in other people to, you know, kind of mentor them, so to speak, um, that have started that are starting or at a different place in their journey. You know, we have the Firestarter series where, you know, this guy, Zach, who also runs another blog called uh, Four Pillar Freedom, um, you know, and he's writing from a much different perspective. He's younger, he's earlier in his career, he's earlier in his financial journey. So I would just encourage you um, to, you know, choose a mentor that is, you know, ahead of where you are, but not exponentially ahead of where you are. Um, you know, read those people, like learn from them, but they're, they're probably not the right person to mentor you at, at this point in time. So let's talk a little about how you got interested in the concept of FIRE or otherwise known as financial independence, retire early. With a lot of social media stars, YouTube stars, and bloggers coming out of the woodworks, I feel like it's getting more and more attention and press. I'm curious to get your take on FIRE and see if you share any different perspectives. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first got into, you know, the, the pursuit of fire, if you will, that the, the term fire didn't really exist uh, back when when I was exposed to it, I, I was more so interested in the in the five part of fire, you know, financial independence, um, and or, you know, financial freedom. And I think that first level of exposure happened in college when I read R Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
Um, and, you know, I've also had to reframe, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself, you know, uh, someone that's pursuing fire, so to speak, unless we, we uh, redefine the definition. I, I define fire as financial independence, recreational employment, um, you know, because I think not working just doesn't resonate with me, right? Like I'm not looking to retire and go sit on a beach and sit my ties for the rest of my life. I have uh, this, this insatiable drive to be productive and to do, do things that I enjoy. And so my whole aim at financial independence or financial freedom is to, to eliminate the, the, the financial, you know, kind of pressures that you might have uh, as far as choosing what I do for employment. You know, that's why we decided to pay off our mortgage early. That's why we've been so diligent at saving 50% or more of our income is because we didn't want the, 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 the financial pressures to dictate the decisions we had to make. And so, yeah, did it happen overnight? No, I mean, early on, I had to do things I didn't enjoy. But as, as we've continued to, to be diligent in saving and building wealth and investing, um, you know, we don't really pay much attention to the financial side of the equation as far as, you know, how much we spend every month. Um, you know, we just kind of spend on the things that bring us joy. And, uh, you know, the rest gets invested and saved. And we just, you know, make decisions disconnected from the, the financial side of the equation more and more, you know, with each passing day and each passing year as, as that snowball, you know, continues to compound in terms of wealth. So one of the unique things that you like to share in your blog is your growth in net worth over time. And it looks like recently you reached over a million dollars. Yeah, that's correct. We, we, uh, we entered the, uh, the double comma club. Wow. That's awesome. It's a incredible achievement for somebody who's considered to be still relatively young. I'm curious as your net worth continued to grow, if your perspective on finances and your goals have changed over time since when you began your blog and where you are at today? I mean, today, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, uh, of introspection and, and work internally to, to be, be okay. You know, early on, even if you were an early reader of my blog, when I started it back in, you know, late 2014, um, I struggled with, you know, being stuck in this, is this mindset of, of scarcity, right? Like I was afraid that I wasn't saving enough that, you know, I didn't want to spend so much. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are, you know, leading the movement in this extreme frugality movement, right? Um, and the extreme frugality just doesn't resonate with me. Although at the same time, my background made me want to hoard things and not spend, but, you know, over, over the course of, you know, a year after starting the blog, you know, and having lots of conversations with my wife and just writing it out, you know, I came up with this, you know, I don't know if I came up with it, but I, maybe I was influenced by other things I was reading, but this idea of relative frugality, right. Where, um, you get a free pass to lifestyle inflation because what's the purpose of making all this money and building this wealth if you can't enjoy it, right? It's, it's there for security, but it's also there for satisfaction, right? In life, you know, whether that's, whether you get that satisfaction from travel, from buying, you know, from buying gifts for other people that might make you feel good, you know, dinners out, whatever the case might be. And so I developed this law of 50-50 whereby, you know, we uh, save 50% of our after-tax income and we spend the remaining 50% guilt-free. And so over the course of the last five years, as our income, you know, combined income as a household has grown from, you know, 170000 to over 500000 uh, this year, um, that's allowed us a, a huge chunk of income that we can spend. Now, what's happened is we've actually found a, a, a natural 
ceiling to the amount of money that we want to spend. Um, and that's been around $120,000 a year. And so our savings rate has just been increasing, which is obviously helping the, the wealth build. So I guess that's a long winded say winded way of saying that I had to shift my mindset from one of scarcity to one of abundance and to, 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 to realize that extreme frugality wasn't really for me. And once I adapted that mindset of abundance and shifted my focus to the income side of the equation instead of the expense side of the equation, um, you know, it was, it was off to the races and, and the sky is literally the limit. Um, things are going far better than I could have ever imagined. Things are happening far faster than I ever, you know, projected. And I think that's just a result of, you know, a shift in mindset. Whenever I talk to successful people like yourself, I hear a common theme, which is live with intention and also living a life of abundance. So instead of having that scarcity mindset, if you want more time, give it away. If you want more money, be able to give that away as well. It might sound counterintuitive to some of our listeners, but I'm curious to get your take on why you think that this mindset is fundamentally important. One, one, one quote just yeah. to, uh, to, to package that and, and put a bow on it. Um, you know, it's, it's a quote by Zig Ziglar who, you know, I, I really, you know, this really resonated with me with the first time I said it, but you know, he says, you know, help enough people get what they want. And, and at the end of the day, you'll always end up getting what you want. There's, there's a law of reciprocity out there that the universe enforces, uh, with an iron fist. I love that you bring out that quote. It's actually one of the quotes that I have on my Instagram, uh, profile. And I was listening to Gary V on one of his YouTube videos, and he mentions when he was trying to title his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, he said that if he could have had it his way, he would have retitled it, Jab, 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 a million times than Right Hook. And the thought behind that was that Jab, Jab, Jab means give, 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 and Right Hook is ass. So he wants his audience to know that fundamentally you have to give value before you ask for anything in return. And that's how Gary really built his wine business and his social media presence to what it is today. So why don't we shift gears a little bit and talk about your career. So from starting out in 2008 to where you are now as a C-suite executive, you could say that you have pretty much reached the top in terms of corporate America within a relatively short amount of time. So if you were to look back and just reflect on your tenure, would you say that you had the end in mind and reverse engineered it? Or was it a result of just working hard day in and day out, getting to the next level and continuing to move up that chain? Well, one of the things you've mentioned a few times is, you know, being intentional, right? So one of my superpowers is my ability to, to plan ahead. Um, I plant lots of seeds of where I want to go. I don't always know how I'm going to get there, but I, I tend to set goals first and figure out the, uh, the, the map of how to get there later. Um, and so, you know, the first time I actually had any aspiration to make it to the C-suite was back in 2012. Um, at the time, I was going through a, a, a program by Darren Hardy, Living Your Best Year Ever. And one of the exercises in that, in that uh, program was to write your letter, or sorry, write yourself a letter from the future, um, from 10 years in the future, as if, and, and to write it as if things that you wanted to accomplish had already been accomplished. 
And so I actually published that letter on my blog uh, probably a year and a half ago um, at the five-year checkpoint. And in that letter, I had written to myself saying that I'd made it to the C-suite um, and had a number of other details in there about, um, you know, income and, you know, having a kid and buying a house and, um, you know, all of that. I think, you know, I planted the seeds in my subconscious and that allowed my subconscious to go out there and start to figure out a way to, to make it happen. Um, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, the, the roadmap of how I was going to get to the C-suite. I set a goal to get there by, uh, it was in, it was 10 years from 2012. So that would have been two, you know, 2022. Um, but then, you know, like I said, once, once you plant those seeds, you'd be amazed at how fast things can come together. Um, and you know, next thing you know, five years later, I find myself in the C-suite, you know, five years earlier than, than I had, uh, had expected or had you know, told myself from the future that I would do it. Um, and the, you know, the same thing, you know, I mean, you read my blog, you know, I have a, a very ambitious goal to create a $10 million net worth in 20 years. We are now, uh, four years, uh, and some change into that, into that goal that I set. Um, and, and, you know, I, I laid out the income projections. I laid out the net worth projections, you know, the income projection, uh, right now we're about 11 years ahead of schedule as far as how much we're earning. Um, and our net worth is probably two or three years ahead of schedule. Um, I think we're going to blow that $10 million number out of the water just because I set numbers that seem ridiculous at the time. And, you know, when I set that goal, my net worth was 181000 or $195,000. Um, today, it's, you know, over $1.2 I I built most of the wealth that we have today over the last four to five years. So some of our listeners might be hearing Dom's story for the first time, haven't followed his journey, and be thinking, well, it must be nice if you have a household income of, you know, four or $500,000. I should be able to save that too and grow my net worth. But the point of this story is, number one, Dom really started from these humble beginnings. And number two, like we mentioned earlier on the show, you have to work hard but also position yourself to be able to take those opportunities and ride the wave once it gets to you. So if you're just coasting through life and you don't have goals and you're not intentional in terms of what you're doing, well, basically, if you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to get what everybody else is getting. And that might not be something that you want. That might not be a future that you want for yourself, for your loved ones, for your kids. So the lesson here is be very intentional in terms of what you're looking for and reverse engineer that. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that everyone's going to be able to take the same exact path that I took, right? It's not some magic formula that says, hey, write yourself a letter and you're going to end up in the C-suite. No, it's, it's like, you know, set those intentions and start working towards, you know, achieving those goals. Um, and, and to provide a little more context and to reiterate what you just said, I mean, remember, I, I came from welfare. Um, if you go back to 2008, 2000, actually 2009, you know, I, I bought my first house when I was still in college and uh, had, to, had to let it go to foreclosure. Um, so in the depths of the financial crisis in 2009, I had a net worth of negative 300,000. And my starting salary out of college was only 52,500, right? And so today, you know, with a net worth of 1.2 million, and I'll probably individually make around 500,000. And, you know, my wife will contribute a, a nice six figure sum as well. Um, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. I wasn't, I, I wasn't born of rich parents or anything like that. It just, it was just steady, persistent, consistent action over time. And, you know, it's, it's turned into something big. 
Um, and I didn't fully answer your question, you know, as far as getting to the C-suite, you know, having this really good career. I think it also takes a, 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 a really strong sense of self-awareness. You know, you need to know what you're good at and then double and triple down on those things, right? Um, you need a, you need a, you need a valuable, um, a valuable skill set to the marketplace, and you have to be good at marketing that skill set as well. So there's there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, but you, you do need to make sure that people understand what you're good at. And if you go out there with a servant's heart, and again, like you know, going back to the Zig Ziglar quote, you help enough people get what they want. At the end of the day, you're going to get what you want every single time. Um, you, you may not be able to know and, and project exactly what angle it's going to come from, but it's going to happen. And that's what I did. I mean, I had identified early on in every job and every company I worked for, I identified the key players that could be the influencers in my career. And I just said yes to every project and tried to help them in any way that I could. And when opportunities came, who was the first person they thought of? It was me because, you know, I was the guy that was always there to try to make their lives easier. Yeah, Dom, I'm not sure if you're a basketball fan, but as a huge Lakers fan, I love sports analogies. And it reminds me of the story I read about the Miami Heat's championship run in 2012 and 2013, where Shane Battier just really played a crucial role in the team's defense and on their way to win a championship. And, you know, Shane wasn't a player with the most visibility like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, but, you know, he just did everything that the other players wouldn't really step up to do, which is take the hard hits and get the charge calls, dive for the loose balls. And when you act out of selflessness and help the team for the overall greater good, I feel like at the end of the day, you will get compensated, whether that might result in winning a championship or you know, getting a promotion or whatever it may be. When you're willing to do the things that no one else is willing to do, people are going to find value in that. This is actually a good segue into the topic of key skills in business. And I know you write about this on your blog and spoke about it on a guest podcast, but other than self-awareness and marketing yourself, are there other tips and tricks that you might want to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, you, you got you to gotta develop a, a sense of hustle, right? Um, I don't think I, I'm, on, I'm not on the same level as Gary Vee. That guy is an animal. Um, from a hustle standpoint, I, I don't know how he can consistently do 18 hour days, but he loves what he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't, don't be afraid to, to put in the hard work. Um, it, w- without that hard work, it doesn't matter how grand a vision you have, you're probably not going to be able to achieve, achieve what you're going after. Um, you know, you've already, you've already touched on mentorship, you know, like surround yourself with, with, you know, five people that are going to help elevate your, your knowledge, uh, in whatever it is that you're pursuing. Um, you know, associate with people that have been where you want to go. Um, you know, allow yourself to be lucky, right? And that, that comes at the intersection of that hustle, hard work, and, you know, preparedness, personal and professional development. You know, the day you stop growing and learning is the day that you just stagnate. Um, so to me, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So you need to be constantly trying to reinvent yourself, constantly learning new skill sets. You know, one of the thing, one of the skills that I picked up over the last I guess it's now been seven years, um, or actually eight years, is, is, is a habit of reading. You know, I, I read The Slight Edge, which is a very influential book. It's probably a book I've given out 100 copies. I've recommended it you know, probably thousands of times now with the blog and with other podcasts I've been on. Um, 
and it really changed my life. And one of the, one of the, the, the challenges in that book that it, you know, asks you to do is to, you know, commit to reading 10 pages of a book a day. You do that, you're going to end up reading 10 to 15 books a year, uh, depending on the size of the book. And, you know, to this day now, you know, I read 50 books a year, uh, most years and, you know, I'm not always ready to, to apply what I've read, but now I have that knowledge bank to tap on when, when an opportunity does arise. Um, and then there's definitely things throughout the year that I try to apply right away that I'm reading. Um, so I would, I would say, you know, develop a, a natural uh, curiosity and, and scratch that itch by learning, whether it's, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, you know, if you don't have time to read, there's, a, there's an app out there called Blinkist. Um, you know, it essentially condenses a, a full book into a 20 minute uh, synopsis um, and gives you the key takeaways and action steps. Um, those are the things that come to mind, but I would encourage you, Bo, to, to uh, link back to the, the post I wrote on deconstructing your career. Um, and I, I, I outline like 11 different characteristics uh, or, you know, items to kind of focus on to accelerate your career and, um, you know, your growth as a, as a, as a human being. <laughs> as we dig a little bit deeper into your transition into the C-suite, a lot of that had to do with your foresight, self-awareness, intentional planning, but it also had a lot to do with that one email that you sent. So from the perspective of somebody who is working in corporate America, some of us are quote-unquote afraid of asking for a promotion or a salary raise. What should be the mindset of somebody who is going into this discussion? Yeah, well, I think for the, first, the first thing is that we have to set the tone for the audience right now, and we have to remind them that the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. So those, those conversations, they're fearful because they're uncomfortable uh, conversations to have. But the more you have them, the easier they become. Was it easy the first time I went and asked for a raise? No. Has it gotten easier every time? Absolutely. I mean, I've done it so many times now that it's, it's like having a regular conversation. So you got you to gotta make yourself, you got to be okay with making yourself uncomfortable initially. And what's uncomfortable initially becomes comfortable. Um, but then you got to cons- consistently be, you know, uh, blowing up your, your, uh, your comfort zone to, to become uncomfortable again. And, you know, as far as those positions that might be a stretch, you're not sure, like one is just ask, right? The worst they can say is no, you're not ready. Um, or they might say, we're willing to consider it, but you need to, you know, hit these milestones. Number two is when I've gone for positions that I wasn't qualified for, I, I started learning about them on the side and here's, here will be an example. Uh, I used to work at Quicksilver, um, you know, the, the action sports company in the, you know, surf, skate and snow business. Um, and I was on the, the finance team and I wanted to move over to the e-commerce team and help, you know, build this, uh, this digital analytics, um, you know, team and, and, and platform, but I didn't have experience. And so what did I do? Uh, I started my first blog, hooked up Google analytics, started playing around with uh pay-per-click and, and, you know, different, uh, you know, pay, pay for, you know, traffic, uh, activities. And I ended up teaching myself, you know, analytics and the e-commerce business, the different metrics that were important. I came across some, some, uh, Harvard business review articles that became very handy. And 
after about six months of study, I think I also bought six books on, uh, on Amazon. That's my go-to place. You know, uh, it's usually never for lack of uh, resources, but for lack of resourcefulness, when you miss out on opportunities, um, you know, all the information is there. I mean, we live in unprecedented times. Um, you know, you, you could, you know, a 20 or $30 book can be worth, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or more, um, at least in my experience. And so after those six months of, of personal study and development, I was able to approach the, the global head of e-commerce uh, for, for Quicksilver. And I was able to get, get myself or secure myself a, a role on, on the e-commerce team. And I was able to talk as if I knew, you know, e-commerce and, and, and digital analytics very well, because I just, I just taught myself. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't question where I got my knowledge. They just like, okay, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's also got a uh, background in finance. So he's good with numbers. And this is just another, another place for him to apply that, um, you know, numerical ability. And most skill sets are, are in one way or another transferable. So you can, you can parlay a, a skill set into another discipline. Um, you just got to layer on that, you know, that, that additional level of education that a lot of times going to have to be done on your personal time. And I think that's the mistake most people, you know, make is they, they don't want to invest that personal time to, to, uh, to learn what they need to, to be ready for that next opportunity. They want the next opportunity. And then they say, and then I'll learn it. Um, or they want that raise, right? It's like, well, I'll do more responsibility if you pay me more money. That, and, and, and that's backwards, right? You gotta, you gotta do, do the thing and then get the reward. It isn't get the reward and then do the thing. Um, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And I just really want to echo this again for our audience is that you really have to outwork your competition. When the people are working nine to five, you have your nine to five, and then you again have your five to 10, right? So when you get home, um, how are you going to spend those hours when everybody else is relaxing, maybe watching Netflix, doing the other things that they find entertaining, you're continuing to better yourself, refine your craft. And when people are just focused on what's in front of them, just the present, you're thinking two, three steps ahead, five, 10 years down the road, and you're already working for that next promotion or that next business opportunity. Like I say many times on the show, it's not a lack of resources, but the lack of resourcefulness that will really set you apart from your competition. So as we look to wrap up our interview, I've intentionally, see what I did there, titled this podcast episode, Choosing to be the Victor and Not the Victim, just listening to your story that's very compelling, and it resonates with a lot of people who maybe have struggled in the past, but have made a conscious decision to better their lives. For those of us um, who might still feel like they're a little bit stuck, what is your advice for them to get out of that mindset? and onto greener pastures? Well, I think my advice is to remind them that um, another, another quote for you, I, I think this was either by Tony Robbins or Bill Gates that said, you know, as humans, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a day, week, or year, but we tend to underestimate what we can do in, sorry, I think I just messed that quote up. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a day, week, or year, and we tend to underestimate what we can do in, you know, one, three, and five years. Um, and so I think most people get stuck because we live in this world of instant gratification, right? We want to see immediate results, but the, the problem is, is, you know, results aren't always linear and, and or sorry, they are, most people think linear, but results are exponential. And so when you're, if you go back to the slight edge, right, 
um, when you're doing something, you might see results that aren't progressing as fast as you would like. Um, but over time, those results are going to start compounding and what seems unnoticeable or, or, or minimal progress ends up turning into what looks like an overnight success, right? It, it, a perfect way to look at that is when you look at compound interest, right? Um, when, you're, when you're investing money every month, it, it doesn't seem to grow that fast within the first, uh, you know, seven to 10 years. But then all of a sudden, you know, compounding kicks in and you start to see the difference between linear and exponential growth. Um, and so I think I would encourage people to take a step back and realize, Hey, look, I might not be making as much progress as I want right now, but I, if I stick with it, I know that there's going to be some level of compounding in the actions that I'm taking that are going to continue to increase the level of progress that I see on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Um, and you know, don't, don't stop, you know, four inches from riches, right? Um, most people give up too soon. Um, they give up in the dip when the, 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 the reward is just right over the hump. Um, so don't, don't throw in the towel too early. I, that's what I would encourage the, the listeners to, to do if they find themselves down in the dumps. It's, it's natural. Yeah. I find myself sometimes uh, in that position, but um, you know, through, through discipline and, and, and kind of being, you know, being my own motivator, I get myself out of the, uh, out of the lows and back to the highs. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I have in one of the posts I wrote, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when discipline, or sorry, when motivation wanes, discipline reigns, right? So you got you to gotta use discipline to get you through those low points to continue to make forward momentum. So on this interview, we covered a lot of ground in terms of mindset and living with intention, as well as different tips and tricks for working in corporate America and really building the life that you really want. As we look to wrap up this interview, do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners and how can they learn more about you and get in touch with you? Yeah, I think my, my parting uh, piece of wisdom is I, I would challenge each of the readers to, to go through that exercise I talked about earlier, you know, write a letter from 10 years in the future, describing what your life looks like, the, the accomplishments you've, you've had in that 10 year period. Um, and then, you know, plant those seeds and then go to work, start taking action, right? Again, you may not have the complete roadmap, but you know, by planting those seeds into your subconscious, you're going to start to to define and carve out that path to get to where you want to be. Um, and and you know, don't don't let that letter just sit. You know, remind yourself to to check in on it from time to time. You'll be amazed at the progress you start making if if, it, if you really are writing down things that you truly want to accomplish. Um, you know, and 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 don't 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 create a, a glass ceiling over. Um, the things you want to achieve because you think that they're, you know, outlandish or ridiculous and, and out of the realm of possibility. Um, there's not too many things that are if you put your mind to it. Uh, and, and, and again, go back to that quote that I shared, you know, the, and remind yourself that, you know, you, we will tend to overestimate what can be accomplished in a day, week, month, or year, but underestimate what can be accomplished in five years or 10 years. Um, and then as far as where you can reach me, I think the best places on the blog, genyfinanceguy.com. Uh, you can send me an email at you know dom at genyfinanceguy.com. I'm not very active on social media. Uh, I have you know pretty pretty big demands on my time between the day job and the business. And you know I'm a new father. My my son's uh, almost nine months old. Um, so I try to uh, to really uh, live the, the the work life blend. But that also means that I have to spend time on the on the life side, spending time with my family, my wife, my son, my friends. Um, so uh, I try to 
to, to cut ruthlessly uh, those other things that don't bring a lot of value to my own life. Well, thank you so much, Dom, for sharing your story with our listeners. For those of you who are listening, I really hope that you write a lot of these you know, actionable tips down and apply it to your current life because action without knowledge is dangerous, but knowledge without action is useless. So definitely think of ways that you can be intentional and apply these things to your life right away. Well, that's the end of our show. If you thought that was helpful, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. We'll see you right back here next week for another exciting episode of the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. Please remember that opinions of the guests are their own and nothing on this show should be considered personal or professional advice. Please consult your tax, legal, or financial advisor for personal advice that fit your unique situation. See you next time.